Nature to me is everything. It's clouds, it's the stars, the way the earth moves, it's storms, it's frosty days, it's the seasons. I know people are skeptical about that kind of stuff, but we get pulled by the moon, we get down when it's dark, we get picked up when it's sunny. It's the best beautiful therapy there is. Without that, I wouldn't be here now. Nature's something that saved me, but it's just part of my everyday life. I'm Ross Lawford. I'm a naturalist and author. Nature got me through the most difficult time in my life. I was 17 and it would have been 1998. I was living in sheltered accommodation and there was a horrific incident that happened one night which left me traumatized, unable to go out and be part of society. I was back at home then with my mum and dad. I couldn't leave my parents' house. After the incident happened, I went to a doctor who thought my condition was agoraphobia, and they referred me to a therapist. Agoraphobia is a mental condition. It means fear of open spaces. I couldn't be in open spaces where there were people without having a panic attack. The therapy was just counterproductive. It wasn't actually that far from where the incident happened in the first place. I would be so fearful of getting to the therapist that it was going to make backward steps anyway. So that didn't really work. I was inside and in my mum and dad's house for maybe a year. Being indoors was my sanctuary, but also that is captivity. It's putting a bird in a cage. Staring out the window would get me through the day. I was lucky in regard that my mum and dad's house was not completely rural. But they would have bird feeders, they would have nice trees out the front, so there was always something going on. Blue tits, dunnocks, wrens, goldfinches, bullfinches. I would find just sitting there and a robin would start singing from the top of her head and I would just be transfixed. That felt like a special connection, which I certainly didn't at the time have with anyone that I knew. It would just make me feel safe and a lot less lonely, knowing that there were other beings there. It looks like they do understand and they are singing just for you. I spend a lot of hours staring out the window, day and the night. The more that goes on that you watch those things, the braver you are. It's like talking to your best friend who's a therapist, but it's actually a bird. That's the way I got through. After all this watching, I finally felt I was ready to go outside. I was reading a lot of nature books. When I looked at the pictures, the places where foxes and osses roamed, they always pictured it where there was no one around. So I kind of felt that maybe that's a place where I could go and be out but also safe knowing that I wouldn't come into conflict with people. My brother had come up for a visit and he lent me his old video camera. Like an extension, it made me feel slightly safer having that because I had a purpose to go out. 
The first time that I left the house properly in a year was to head down to the river. I grew up maybe a 15 minute cycle ride from there, so quite close. I would work out the quickest, least obvious ways down there. I'd work on my bike, get that ready. The night before, I'd line up my socks on top of the shoes. They were ready to go. I would line up my trousers. I'd get my water bottle, my apple, all that sort of stuff in my little bag. My journey down there was like having a panic attack. Rather than using tracks and paths, I kind of cut straight down the slope. Once I reached the river, it would be a case of hiding in the shadows until I felt safe to come out. Ended up on the riverbank and the colours were just insane. I could breathe. It's kind of carved into a little valley, so when it was a cold day in the winter and early spring, it would have mist form and it was just a dreamlike state being down there. And I was filming it, all the colours across the river and the reflections and just thinking how stunning it all was. All of a sudden, when I was panning with this video camera, I noticed this astonishingly beautiful kingfisher sat there on the other side of this river. It dived into the water, the splash came back up. A space like that is everything. It's the calming, it's the wind through the trees, it's sounds, it's the colour. And then it comes together when you see something like the kingfisher. It's a powerful moment. It didn't change instantly that I could suddenly just you know, disappear everywhere, but it was a massive, massive step in the direction I needed. After going down there for the first time, I knew that I could do it again. It became part of my routine. These spots became important and I knew I could go back. I'd observe anything and everything. I would see the kingfishers and wonder if they were nesting this year or I'd see the sand miners come back from Africa travelling like 6,000 miles to come back to that river makes my 15 minutes not look like a lot does it I would follow fox tracks for miles I'd have a diary of when I saw them where they were going what direction what the wind speed was what the weather was like I would write it all down in ridiculous detail having that kind of focus on a project makes everything else obsolete you don't even realise there's been a change until you look back a month later and you kind of realise you've done all this. Getting fixated on something's kind of helped with that process. If I had a project, it would distract me from the mental health issues I had. It would also then push me. So when I wasn't down there, I would be thinking about it. I'd have to go and buy another A6 pad because I was writing so much detail in it. So I'd have to go into W. Smith's and get my pen, get my pad, so I could get back to the river. Before you know it, I'm doing that on a daily basis. Thanks to that healing power of seeing an animal, seeing what its behaviour is, it would completely take away the anxiety of being somewhere I didn't want to be. So my dad had seen an advert in the paper about the Prince's Trust. It was basically an outdoor way of getting back into society and making friends along the way. To go and do the Prince's Trust for me was a really big deal. Suddenly I've got to actually be around people and confront people and I've got to sit in a room with people. There was an interview process to see if he wanted to go. My dad gave me a lift and on the way there he shouted over to me that a mink had crossed the road. I'd never seen one in my life, I was just really excited. So I went into that interview I'd already made my mind up. 
I'd seen a mink. I mean, what else do I need to tell me I need to do it? I sort of registered for it and I think I started a week later. We would do loads of team building things, abseiling, rock climbing, kayaking. Yeah, it felt like a kid on an adventure trip. And then we had to find a community project. I knew of a place, but I'd never been there. It was a wildlife rescue centre. On the off chance, I remember phoning up and asking, are we doing a community project? We raised the funds ourselves. Is there anything we can do at your sanctuary? They were in the process of trying to give an otter a new home. We went in and spoke to the manager and measured it all out. We had two weeks to complete the project. As soon as I got there, I was just like, this is where I belong. The place was just mesmerising. It had raccoons, wildcats, ponies, pigs, iguanas, pythons, everything I could have dreamt of. And they led us to meat squeaks. Being an otter, she was asleep for most of the time we were there. Other people obviously weren't as interested in nature, but I refused to leave until I'd seen her. It's when everyone had not left the place, they were walking around looking at other things, and she popped her head out the little doorway. I just remember thinking it's the most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen. I dreamt about seeing otters when I was a kid, read all the books, seen films, and then there she was. It just felt like the reason everything had come together was for that fork in a timeline. There was a sadness to both of us. I just felt we needed each other. She was there as a rescued animal, and I guess I was as well. Once we'd finished completing the new enclosure for Squeaks, I ended up volunteering there, and ultimately that ended up with me getting a staff role. I was spending every day with Squeaks, building up that bond. You couldn't go in with her because she's technically on the dangerous animals list. But for some reason, she didn't respond to me like that. If you did go in there with another staff member, you'd have to wear wellies because she would go for your ankles, but she didn't do that with me. She would come closer every day to the point where she was being hand-fed or I would put, I don't know, a little piece of egg on my nose and she would lick that off. That's unheard of to hand-feed otters. She became like my sidekick. I would be in front of people, but with her, so I felt safe. And I'd be sat there talking about Squeaks and how magical she is to them. With Squeaks, it just ignited something that I didn't even know was there or I was capable of. Building up bonds with people became easy. Going to the shops became easier. God forbid going into a pub to have a drink. It's okay. At that point, she would have been my best friend. She would have been the person I spoke to, the person I spoke to the most. She was an otter, but I spoke to her more than I would speak to anyone else. It's quite a hard one to talk about, but essentially she, she, she passed away. I always felt like I was kind of set her free at the end, so I felt like it had been a win. We'd set each other free. Once that had happened, like a calling, really, I wanted to see what her wild cousins got up to. I felt like I owed it to her. That then maps out the next 15 years and relationships. They're all because of that crossroads with Squeaks. I would end up somewhere or I would take jobs in remote areas because I knew otters were there and I'd want to see them. So I ended up covering most of the UK. I went to the Forest of Dean, I went to the Lake District, I went to all these stunning places. It just felt right. And I remember when I saw my first otter, it was like staring at squeaks. I'd arrived on Mole. I mean, I'd never been to Scotland, and oh, the Mole was mythical. I remember getting to my accommodation, opening the window and staring down, and there was like a small block. After about 10, 15 seconds, there was movement in it. And I just thought, okay, that's going to be a dog. Because things like that don't happen. 
and I ran as fast as I could down this slope, went through some barbed wire over a fence, got to where this creature was, and there was nothing there, it was just empty. And I just sat there and I thought, well, this is beautiful. I get what they mean about the kind of charm, all that kind of stuff. And then out of the corner of my eye, through the reeds, it came back and it was an otter. It kind of swirled and went around this little tiny pool for maybe a couple of minutes. It was just right in front of my face. Even the water smacking against the surface. It was just the best poetry you can imagine. Pop and squeaks, that's one of the most beautiful moments I've ever had. I went back to Mole quite a few times. I got the opportunity to live there. And that's where I met my partner and kind of turned my head, I guess. I ended up coming back to civilization. This journey that I'd been on, it had come almost all the way around to a full circle. Travelling, tracking, watching, and then Daniel was born. From the darkest place to the lightest place, going from this horrible, depressive state and suddenly ending up on a sunny day in spring watching an otter with my two-year-old who's just the most beautiful thing there is. And then now, I mean, I think he's seen four otters. See, that's a dream in itself. I mean, I don't know how much he took in. It's more about, for me, this powerful moment. Being in nature is my practice. On a daily basis, I'm up before light. I can hear various different birds singing, especially things like the dawn chorus, you'll hear something in the distance. In my head, I'm saying hello to them. Straight away, it started off in the best possible way. I feel calm already. It's a need for me to watch the sunrise. I'm obsessed. Most days I'll make that effort to get up a hill be walking into the darkness, which would have terrified me at one point, but walking in the darkness now, you know what's around you. So I do time lapses just to see the cloud formations, the storm brewing, or just a calm day. Even if it's not sunny, just watching the darkness coming to light. I need to get to a hill to set something up. Once I've done that, suddenly the anxiety, if there was any, just evaporates. If I'm on my way to work, I'm sat on the bus, I'm still looking out for that bird, that sound. So it's an ever-present thing. It means you're part of something bigger than yourself, but you're involved in it. I can't be without the ritual. If I don't do my daily practice, it's like someone's clipped my wings. I need to get back to nature as soon as possible, if I ever leave it at all. The power of nature brought me closer to people, which meant I then trusted people again. That's a huge benefit to me. And it's something that I'll always be very grateful for. If I meet people, I'm obsessed to promote the natural world. I get a massive buzz out of showing people otters. I do otter walks now. I've probably seen hundreds of otters over the years, but it always feels like the first time. And I always treat it like it's the last time I'll ever see an otter. That kind of keeps that passion. You can't lose that power of seeing something like that or the power of nature. And the more people that fall in love with nature, then the more chance we have to protect it. Without nature, we don't exist either.
The Practices was produced by Radio Wolfgang for Light. For more information, visit lights.app. This episode featured Ross Lawford. It was produced and sound designed by Holly Aquilina and the executive producer was Ellie Di Martino.